The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. We're all sitting here. Everyone else has gone on holiday and we're thinking, why wasn't that us? But uh, we're here together, so that's good. We're here to serve God and be together and, and get to know each other. So good to get to know some new folks this morning. And uh, if you're here for the first time, also a great welcome to you. We're in the book of Mark, if you're joining us for the first time, and we're journeying through this book asking the question, who is Jesus and why did he come and why does that make a difference to this world and to our lives? I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had a moment in life where everything changed? Have you ever had a moment in life when everything changed? Perhaps it was for you as a bloke, you... um, met the women of your dreams, and you realized from that moment on, life was going to be very different. Or perhaps you uh, were expecting a baby, or perhaps it was a surprise, and you went, hmm, life's going to be very different. Or perhaps you decided to move to a new city or a new country, like what I have, like some of you have. Life's going to be very different. There was this moment that life changed. When I was growing up and went to university, my dream was to buy a Ford 1600 Sport. This is a picture of it. Um, it was blue, not a picture of it. It looked like this, a little two-door. Uh, this was my dream car. I always wanted a Ford 1600 Sport. And so I eventually bought one when I was at uni. And a typical uni student, you buy what you can afford. So it was a total disaster as a car. It needed a total overall. And what did I know about driving cars and fixing cars? But when my wife, Miriam, she was not my wife then, came along and I started to take notice of her, she didn't like my car. (laughs) So what was I going to do? Keep my car? Perhaps lose Miriam? Now, I sold my car and bought a Toyota, and I've been buying Toyotas ever since. Perhaps the moment when things changed for you, and perhaps it hasn't, this is not your story, but perhaps the moment things changed for you was when you encountered Jesus. And something shifted in you, and you realized, I can't move on from this encounter and not be changed. That he really is and brings good news. We're getting to a story in Mark, and as we preach through a book, you, as a preacher, you get to a passage, you go, how on earth am I going to preach this? And we're at one of those passages this morning. And um, it's going to be a bit foreign to some of you, perhaps, or there's a bit of a warning to this. Uh, but we run the risk of missing the important point from it. And secondly, we sometimes will ignore, I'm just getting a little bit of feedback, Ian, up on stage. Uh, we, we Sometimes we miss uh, the, the, the point of it because we are fearful of what this passage is going to say. And I'm also aware that there are boys and girls in the, in the service this morning, so I've had to trim what I wanted to say. But we're going to encounter a person who really was in need of Jesus, and his life changed. 
And perhaps there's a resonance there for you, but there's also a, a learning and a warning for each of us. As we seem to seek to track in a, in a spiritual life and get to know God, there is a warning here for us. Let's read from Mark chapter 5 from verse 1. Last week we saw Jesus and his disciples were crossing the lake and the, the lake is, this lake of Galilee is about 13 kilometers across just to give you a bit of geography. There's the Jordan River, then the, the Sea of Galilee, then the Jordan River, then the Dead Sea. And Israel is really on this side, on the western side of that mainly today, although the Golan Heights are, are slightly on the, on the, on the eastern side where this probably took place. And Jesus had sailed across and they'd sailed through a storm and Jesus had calmed the storm and, and everybody was afraid of Jesus realizing that he has the power to calm storms and, and have power over nature. But here's something else he's going to have power over. Mark 5, 1 to 2. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out, out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet them. The word impure uh, is a word, impure spirit is a word applied to demons in the Bible. It means uh, these, these demons, these fallen angels or wherever they come from, they, they're, they're everything that God is not. They're impure. They're, they're destructive. They're, they're, they're unholy. They're, they bring about in, in human life destruction and evil and, and, and hurt and pain. They're impure. So this bloke came out to meet Jesus. This was in the Gentile country on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. These were not Jews. They were Gentiles. Verse 3, the man lived in the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. The word subdue is the word you'd use to tame a wild animal. All right? People were treating this man like an animal. And, not, and notice also, in, I've underlined it there for you, that, that there was a progression in this man's life to get him into the state where he was. He wasn't born like this. When you think of somebody who's who has demons, you think of this, uh, you know, evil sort of guy, long hair and, 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 you know, hairy everywhere and, and just evil eyes. He wasn't born like that. He didn't come out of his mum like that. There's something that happened in his life that precipitated a path that he was going to take that put him in the place where he would eventually be treated like an animal and behave like an animal. He was in the tombs. No one could bind him. Verse 5, night and day, among the tombs in the hills, he would cry out. He would howl. That's really the word. He would howl like an animal and cut himself with stones. Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, notice <clears throat> this man, excuse me, <clears throat> the man is, is we're going to see is, is just infested with these demons. But notice he still has a mind. He has the presence of mind to go to Jesus. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted, and now, now whoever, whatever is with him or on him begins to shout out at the top of this man's voice, what do you want with me? The, the, the original language simply says, what, are you to, what, what am I to you and what are you to me? simply says, what do you want with me? Now notice the declaration from the dark side. And remember, as we've journeyed through the book of Mark, we've, we've seen that most likely Mark 
John Mark wrote this book. That's why the book's called Mark. And he got his information, we understand, from, from early church history from the apostle Peter. Peter, if that was true, and Peter's standing here, seeing this going on, Peter's trying to figure out who is this Jesus, why did he come to earth? But from the dark side, there is this declaration, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? The people haven't figured out yet who Jesus is, but these things from the dark side know exactly who he is. He's the son of the most high. He is God, in God's name. So now now the demon begins to realize I'm in trouble here. And he starts to say, hey, my time is not up. I'm, I'm asking you, really saying in God's name, don't torture me. My time is not up. Don't send me from here. Because Jesus had said, come out of him, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for I, we are many. I want to give you a depiction of what a legion is. Remember, this was in the Roman times. This book was, was, could have been written in Rome. People understood what a legionary was and what a legion was. So I've, I've spent some time this morning putting some dots on the screen. Here is what would be known as a cohort. This would be 500 soldiers. That's a cohort, a Roman cohort. And there were 10, next slide, there were 10 cohorts in a legion. Now, were there four or 5,000 demons on this guy? We don't know. But it simply says there were a lot. This guy was in serious trouble. Verse 10, he begged Jesus again, these, this demonic from the, other, from the dark side, begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Somehow they had territorial possession of the area. Verse 11, and a large herd of pigs was feeding on the near, near, near the hillside. That's why we know this is Gentile country. Jews wouldn't have pigs. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And Jesus, verse 13, gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Notice that these unclean spirits did to the pigs what they were trying to do to this man to demean him, destroy him, treat him as an animal. Friends, we are in a war. And in the West, we're sort of in a cold sort of war. It's like when, I know we're getting back to Russia being back on the world stage. It was like when we sent spies into different countries. It's like there's not really a battle that you can see going on We've sort of been lulled into this thing thinking there's not really a war, but Jesus here steps into this place and says there's a war going on. If you believe that or not, well, that really doesn't make a difference because Jesus is saying there's a war. There's an encounter with these evils, with the dark side that he has. There's a war going on, and this war is there for the souls of men and women to enslave them, to break them down, to, to treat them as nothing, to demean them. To utterly destroy them. Verse 14. And those tending the pigs, they got a huge fright. They ran off, reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what happened. 
Verse 15, and I'm going quickly because of time. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. I just want to stop there. We, we read this word possessed and, and we, we get the wrong impression. The word simply means demonized. It simply means the man had a demon or the demon was on him, attached to him. We sometimes have, and the better way to translate this is not an either or. There is this graduation of, of, of people who can have this accumulation of evil on them. We have this either or that you're either possessed by something, by God or by Satan, and it is an either or. But what this text is saying is that this man gradually became worse. Timothy Warner says, the best word to refer to all forms of demonic invasion is the word demonization, not demon possession. We can then speak of the degree of which a person is demonized rather than being limited to an either or option by the possessed, not possessed view. So this man was, for some reason, these demons had a foothold on his life and was, and were, and were tormenting him. But now the people come and they see this person who used to be naked, who used to be out of his mind, now sitting there in his right mind, closed, and they were very afraid. This was a friend this, this week, and we read through this text, and, and he, he noticed, he said, you know, in the beginning, it was like, you know, people couldn't chain this guy. They knew they didn't have any power over him. And Jesus comes and just with a word sets the bloke free. And they were even more scared of Jesus. Who is this guy? Now, with a word, not with some herbs, not with some incantation, not with some fancy recipe, just with a word, they leave. They're gone. This man set free. Verse 16 and 17, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the, here's the word demon possessed again, just the, the text literally says the man who had a demon um, and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Now, you can imagine, A, they were afraid, but B, there was also an economic issue here. 2,000 pigs was a lot of money, okay? Uh, and they were gone. They <laughs> were in the sea, uh, swimming around, drowning. And perhaps the people were thinking, we don't know who this bloke is. Is he going to come and cause more trouble here for us? So rather than accept him and go, hey, you must be a really strong guy. You must have really strong abilities. They're rather asking to leave. If we go back a couple of weeks when Pastor Mark preached the, 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 the sermon on the sower and the condition of one's heart, it's like these people had a hard heart that confronted with who Jesus was. They still said, no, nah, we think you should rather leave. But this man who Jesus had set free was different. Verse 18, and getting into the boat, Jesus was going to leave now. The man who had been deemed possessed begged to go with him. Verse 19, Jesus did not let him, but said, go to your home, to your own people, and tell them, and notice the words of Jesus, verse 19 and 20, how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. Verse 19 and 20. Notice if we can just put that slide up. Jesus had, had said, go and tell how much God has done for you, how much the Lord has done for you. And this man went and told 
how much Jesus had done for him. The text is saying, Mark is saying, Jesus and God are the same person. He is God. That's what this text is saying. And the people were amazed at the transformation in this man. Friends, I want you to notice just a few things. That Jesus specifically went to this place to set him free. When I asked you the question, has there been a moment in your life when life changed for you? Jesus went out of his way, sailed across a lake in the middle of a storm to set a man free. And then he left. I want you to notice how personal Jesus is with somebody who really needs his help. That is not some random encounter. It's an encounter with God. And perhaps you're here this morning for the first time and you're hearing these things and you're going, I'm not quite sure of this. I want to say to you, perhaps this is not some random encounter. It's perhaps what God wants to do to encounter you. The Bible says in 1 John 3 verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. You might say to me, Ray, this morning, we don't really see evil around us. We don't really see the degree of deprivation and behavior that went on in this story. I would argue differently. There's a Russian author by the name of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who, wrote, who was locked up in the gulag in Russia, in the USSR, and tortured. And he says this. He says, if only there were evil people somewhere, insidiously committing evil deeds, and it was necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and to destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. This man who had this legion didn't start out there. He had made decisions in life that got him there. And Solzhenitsyn and the Bible would warn us to say that that dividing line is in our heart. We have the ability to choose good and evil. We have the ability to choose to practice the, 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 the good deeds of the light or of the darkness. Even as Christians, we have that choice. And Solzhenitsyn would remind us, and this text would remind us, that when we begin to dabble in those things, it can take a hold of us and cause us to be enslaved and entrapped in things. I saw this firsthand. I grew up in South Africa. I saw this firsthand where where good people, I mean, please don't take this the wrong way. South Africans are normal people, right? They're good, you know, they're normal people. And there's nothing perfect about them. But if you had to ask them individually, and the Germans in the Second World War would say the same thing, the German people were good people. But somehow the enemy got involved in the psyche of the nation. And the group behaved in a very, very poor way. Australia's done the same thing. We've done the same thing to people who were indigenous inhabitants of this country. Together, even the church got involved in that. We go, well, how did the church, how on earth did good things take on evil? 
Friends, it's when we begin to, to go down that path, it's like the enemy can take a hold of what is good and even get leverage for evil among us. But I want you to notice as we close that the book of Mark doesn't leave us there. At the end of the book of Mark, where we're not going to get to in, during the next few weeks, but we're going to close off the series in, in next week. Mark will preach the last sermon in Mark. We're going to go to a series on, on, on Psalms. But, uh, but at the end of the book of Mark, Jesus will trade places with this man. This man was out of his mind. This man was naked. This man was chained up, treated like an animal. This man was rejected and put among the tombs. Jesus Christ comes to deal with our hearts, that line that runs through each of our hearts. Just like this man, he would be rejected. He would be put on a cross. He would be bound up. He would be put in the tomb. He would be naked. And he would have all of evil poured out on him. You see, friends, that's the God we serve, the God who encounters us and takes on him everything that the enemy wants to put on you to cause destruction, to demean you, to demean your neighbor, to demean your community, to suck you down. Jesus Christ has taken it on him. All the injustice, all the deaths, he died on the cross for us. So Jesus is and brings good news, friends, that not only sets you free from evil, but grips your heart with the kind of love he has for others. There is something about when the love of Jesus grips our heart, we will want to let go of evil. We would want to stop playing with it, dallying with it. We would say, Jesus, you died for this. You paid for this. I will let it go. And when you truly see, friends, what it costs to set you free from evil, you'd want to stay away from it. Lastly, people, friends, are of infinite value to Jesus. Let's treat them like that and not exploit them. I want to read, in closing, Ephesians chapter 2 for you. It's not on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. I want to remind you of what we've been saved from, even though it might seem foreign to you. This is what the Bible says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit of spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, it's like he crossed the lake. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, 
in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works. So no one can boast. Now for you, for we are God's handiwork. His poem, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. God wants to encounter you today, doesn't matter where in your journey you are, encounter you again with a fresh realization of what he's done for you and what he's called you to and where you are seated in Christ and asking us to stop playing with the things of this world, to stop dallying with evil because it will begin to insidiously grab a hold of you. Jesus is saying, this text is saying, remember where you are. Take position in that. Take authority over these things in your heart which are wrong. I want to tell you, I want to leave you with three things this morning. Firstly, I want to encourage you this week to tell somebody about how Jesus encountered you. Why is that important? It's important to remind yourself of your own testimony of what Jesus has done for you. It may be a friend, it may be somebody down the road. Just tell somebody, maybe your spouse, your, your children, your father, your mother. Just tell them about, hey, you know what? This is what Jesus has done for me. How did he encounter you? Secondly, friends, when you are tempted by evil, remind yourself of what it cost Jesus to buy your freedom. And lastly, people are of infinite value of God, to God. Surprise someone with good this week. What do I mean by that? It's not, oh, the person will be surprised because you're actually good. I'm just going, no, surprise them with something good. Surprise them with good because they are God's creation, dearly loved by God. You can show them that this week. You can begin to undo evil in this world by doing good to someone. To show them that God cares for you and for them. May God help us as we do that, as we encounter these truths in this text which are a bit foreign to us. May we be set free to truly live as he's called us to do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for um, your encounter with each of us. And Lord, there's much in this text that, um, yeah, we would want to stay away from shy away from. But Lord, you remind us we're in a battle. We're in a battle for men and women, the souls of men and women, boys and girls. And Lord, you have saved us. You've set us free. You're changing us. You're treating us, Lord. You're treating us, Lord, as your creation, your masterpiece. Help us to treat others like this. Help us to do good. Help us to let go of evil. Show us, Lord, where the enemy has taken a foothold. Help us to renounce that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.